0: I think we've got a, uh, a Bible reading, another longer um, Bible reading. Thank you, Lorna, for stepping up today. We're up to Daniel chapter 3. This is the story of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've titled this message, Even If, wonderful line one of the most wonderful declarations of faith from these three fellas laid in the chapter when they are threatened with death. Just keep an eye out for those two little words even if... Thank you very much, Lorna. This is Daniel, Chapter 3. Ah, uh, Yep.
1: Grab that. For Thanks, Thank you. Reading Daniel, Chapter 3. The image of gold and a fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, satyr, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach? Make sure in Abednego that you do not serve my God or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, cedar, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shedrach, Mezra, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are drawn into the blazing furnace, the god we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Abakadetzer the was furious with Shadrach, Mezherah, and Abednego, and his attitudes toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Mezherah, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, ter- trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the, f- that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet and in amazement and asked his advisors, Aren't you the three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unarmed, and the fort looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. So Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of, on, of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants, they trusted in him and defined the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Mesha and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you so much.
0: As a native English speaker, I'm always in awe of people who can do a reading like that in a language that isn't their mother tongue. Thank you so much, Lorna. <laughs> I struggle with the English language sometimes. So you've done very, very well uh, today and it is my, my mother tongue. Uh, friends, why don't we uh, pray as we get stuck into this message this morning. Let's pray. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we again come before you and we again declare that uh, we are completely dependent upon you. We are completely naked. We are helpless without your assistance, without your help, without the power of your Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, bringing this piece of scripture to light. So, Father, we pray that you will indeed be using this this passage to teach us, to encourage us, to challenge us, loving Lord. We pray that you might help us to see something new in this very familiar passage. We pray that you might uh, give us soft hearts to be able to to be challenged in, in a new way. Father, we pray that what we know not that you might teach us, what we have not that you might give us, and what we are not you might make us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us for the past couple of uh, weeks, you'll know that in about the year 605 BC, uh, the Babylonians invaded uh, Israel. Uh, God, as punishment for their idolatry, as punishment for the nation's waywardness, allowed the Babylonians to come and to to take Jerusalem, to to conquer Jerusalem. It was, uh, of course, a a national tragedy. In three separate waves of exiles, they are taken uh, captive from from, from the the promised land over into what is effectively modern-day Iraq taken as exiles, as slaves, and and Daniel, together with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken in this very first wave. Uh, Judah's best and brightest are taken into slavery. We uh, we heard how King Nebuchadnezzar was very canny in the way that he sought to indoctrinate these these exiles. Rather than using brute force, he simply tempted them and, and, and lured them into jettisoning their faith in God and to taking on board the Babylonian culture. He was using subjugation by assimilation. He wanted to assimilate these these foreigners into the Babylonian way of life. They went to the finest school, the king's finishing school. They were given positions of authority as a way of encouraging them to to let go of their old way of life, to let go of the faith of their forefathers, the one true God of of heaven and and earth. But we heard in week one that they resolved in their hearts not to to defile themselves. They resolved to stand strong, to stand firm. God rewarded them uh, for their faithfulness and, and they, uh, they were promoted. They were, they were seen to be doing very well. They, they, uh, they, they gave a good account of themselves and, and they worked their way up the ranks. And then last week we read how Daniel uh, was able to interpret a dream of, of the king that was troubling the king, that had been hammering the king about a a great big statue. And and Daniel was able to interpret that for the king. And again, they were again promoted. They're now administrators. These young men had gone from exiles and from slaves to being administrators over the province of Babylon. These guys were doing well for themselves. These guys were were in positions of authority and power and, and, and influence. They were in the in crowd. Why would you put all of that at risk, but that is exactly what they do in our story today. They realize that as strangers in a strange land, and of course we've been reminding ourselves that as followers of Jesus, we are strangers in a strange land. This world is not our home. We are but passing through. If we get too comfortable here in modern day Australia, alarm bells should start going off in our head. We do not belong to this world. We should be counter-cultural, and today's story is one of the best-known examples of just that. The king, having had his dream of a mighty statue, now builds a huge statue, 90 feet high, we're told, made of gold. We're not exactly told what it's made of. Some people think it might have been of Nebuchadnezzar himself or maybe one of their gods. We don't exactly know what this statue um, looked like. We don't know what it was of which is significant as a matter of fact. But what we do know is that at the sound of the music, all people must bow down to this statue. Now, what is happening here is that, again, King Nebuchadnezzar is being a very shrewd king, a very canny king. He realizes that he's ruling over an empire with many different diverse peoples. You see, he'd conquered so many different lands by now. And so, like the the Roman Empire that would come, lots of different cultures were part of this one kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar knew that he had to somehow bring them together, to draw them together underneath his authority. And so, this is his way of of doing it. If you have a look in verse uh, verse 8 of the story, if you happen to have it open in in front of you, um, there's there's a little word there that is translated... Uh, as as Nebuchadnezzar says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were refusing to bow down to the statue. They've resolved in their hearts. Remember, they'd made this decision earlier. This isn't the first time. This isn't their first rodeo, right? They had already resolved in their hearts not to defile themselves. So by the way, church, before we embark, know that if you're not going to stand up in the little things for God, you're never going to be able to do it in the big things. You're never going to be able to stand up in public unless you can first do so in private. So they had already resolved; they'd already made the decision. They're not going to go here. But now the pressure is really on. There's a huge statue. The music starts up. Unlike everybody else, they said, "We're not going to bow down." Of course, uh, there's some snitches, some dibber dobbers in the in the room. Wherever you find God's people, you're going to find people keen to to point at us and mock at us and say, look at those bigoted Christians, those narrow-minded Christians. They're not on board with the, with the pluralist agenda of, of Australian society. And so these men who have been passed over for promotion effectively dob them into King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is, is trying to get everyone to get on the same boat, to, to, to get on board, to worshipping the statue as a way of unifying his kingdom. What I want you to see here at this point that I hadn't really picked up, but what they are not ever told to do is to necessarily abandon their beliefs. If you have a look at the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are never actually told you can't worship your God. What they're told is you can worship your God, but you must also worship our gods. The pressure of this pluralist society is to worship the one God, this this statue that had been made. that didn't just represent one God. King Nebuchadnezzar, the the Aramaic, says, he says, is it true? Are you not bowing down to my statue um, and worshipping these other gods? The statue didn't necessarily just represent one God. It represented all of Babylonian culture, all of the Babylonian gods. So by bowing down to this one statue... It was their way of saying, I, I am submitting myself to the Babylonian gods, to the Babylonian culture. And, of course, and of course, they, they refuse. What Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is trying to make sure that they privatize their faith. He's saying, you can keep worshipping your own gods if you want to. You can keep doing that. It's like, but, look, keep it to yourself, will you? Like, behind closed doors, I don't really care what you do, but out in the public square, you'd better toe the line. Out in the public square, you better be like the rest of us. The pressure is always to privatise your faith. We're seeing it in our pluralistic society today. Whether it was Babylon, whether it was Rome, or Sydney, Australia, the pressure in a pluralist society is always to privatise your faith, to keep it to yourself. But out in public, we're all in this together. Yeah, we've heard that a lot, haven't we, lately? We're all in this together. Everyone's got to get on board... Do what you want in your privacy, but, but out in the public sphere, there's certain things that you're not allowed to say or do. Nebuchadnezzar was pretty canny. He said, you can keep your own little defeated gods, but I don't know why you'd want to. They've been defeated. I've, I've raided your temple, and, and all the precious you know, gold is now in my temple. But if you really want to, go and do it. But in public, you'd better be bowing down. You'd better be one of us. Friends, it's happening all the time in Sydney, Australia today. This pressure to bow down in public, to privatise your faith. If you are working in an industry that is really cutthroat, that really works right on the limit of the law, where the culture is, is to step over people, do whatever you can to get ahead, and you decide to yourself, well, in order to compete, in, in, in order to, to make it, I'd better do the same thing. You've bowed down. You've bowed down. You've accepted the premise of the culture around you. The big one today is sexuality, isn't it? You have your little private, but in public, you'd better be supporting the public line. You'd better not be speaking up against the powers that be when it comes to sexuality. If you have bought into the lie that human sexuality is expressed in anything other than the lifelong union between a man and a woman that we call marriage, friend, I'm sorry, you have bowed down. If you have a problem with that, don't shoot the messenger. It's all there in black and white. God's will for human sexuality is clear. And the pressure is there every day, isn't it, to bow down. Keep quiet. Pete, don't be saying things like that. The dibba-dobbers and the snitches, they have already been on to me once or twice. They've been reported to the synod authorities once or twice already. For simply affirming Christian orthodoxy, after all. Cancel culture is alive and well today. Bow down. Keep silent. We will silence you. We will shut you down. In my inbox, every single day, there's a new example of it that you're not going to hear about in your mainstream media because they're on board with the pluralist agenda. They're the ones pushing it. You're not going to hear about it on the nightly news. You're going to have to go looking. I can forward you. I can sign you up, if you like, to my Christian daily. Every single day, there are stories of Christian people being silenced, being effectively cancelled from the public sphere online. Believers in Germany, this is just from the last couple of weeks. I'm not... This is this week... Had a look down through my feed. Believers in Germany being banned from praying silently and peacefully out front of an abortion clinic. Not annoying anyone, praying in silently, charged. Of course, we all know about what's happening in China. Um, There recently, just this week, restrictions on even Christian content being shared on social media. It's been happening for a long, long time. Christians will get shadow banned they'll get demonetized and kicked off entirely. And it's not just ordinary people. This week was a Spanish politician, a member of their parliament, who was being suspended from Twitter for saying that a man can't get pregnant. How about that? Stating basic biological facts, suspended, gone, bowed down, be silent. A Canadian father put in prison, confined to a cell in high security for breaking a court order, not to speak publicly about his daughter's efforts to transition into being a boy. Jailed for that, for speaking up about it, just for speaking up about it. You might have seen pictures of that 71-year-old British street preacher who was arrested for simply affirming the vision of marriage that was affirmed in Genesis. A Finnish Christian MP uh, has been charged for tweeting out a Bible verse in relation to marriage. British school chaplain in a Christian school has been fired for preaching a very graciously worded sermon on human sexuality and marriage because it went against the pluralism of our time. And, of course, here in Australia, this is real. This is happening. Look it up, Christian. In Victoria, they have passed legislation that criminalizes ministry towards people who are struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction. These are adults exercising their free will, coming to the church for help, they will now charge you if you seek to help them. Bow down, be silent, have your beliefs if you really want, but you better not bring it into the public sphere or you'll be silenced. You'll be shut down, cast out. And look, I'm not saying we need to be picking every single fight that comes along. And certainly, I desperately want the church to be speaking with great love and, and graciousness and, and, and tenderness, but. At some point, we have to draw the line and say, no more. This is, is where I stand. This is having negative effects on people's lives. People are getting hurt. Last year, you might have heard, probably didn't, but there was a story of a man presenting in a hospital in the US, an overweight man complaining of abdominal pain. Of course, they didn't think to do a pregnancy test, did they? The man turned out to be a pregnant woman and the baby died. This is hurting people. This is hurting our society. This is the pressure of our modern pluralistic society. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are having none of it. They're having none of it. They say, listen, I'm not going to bow down. I've drawn the line and I'm not going to bow down to to this image. By the way, they were doing everything right. They were doing as they were commanded to do in Jeremiah, to to sow into the kingdom. We're told they were told in Jeremiah, he told the Babylonian exiles in Jeremiah 29, God says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all of those that are carried into exile in Babylon. He says to build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for the city that you're exalted, that you're a captive in. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. These guys are doing everything they can. They're, they're contributing to their society. They're, they're doing what they can to bless the society in which they live. These are not a bunch of narky killjoys. These guys have been doing their very best to be godly and to sow into the community around them, but it wasn't enough. Eventually they knew that they had to, to take a stand. So the king is furious. Uh, the king is, 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 is furious at this point. He orders, of course, the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than it normally was. Uh, and says, listen, I'll give you one more chance, guys. If you don't bow down, in you go. And then in one of the most glorious statements of, of faith in Scripture, they say, King Nebuchadnezzar. So they're still quite respectful, right? They're still not, they're not being belligerent. They say, King, you know... We do not defend ourselves in, before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So they believe that God can and that he will actually save them. But then in verse 18, but he said, then they say, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Wow. These are men of principle, aren't they? These are men of courage who are taking a stand. They're saying, look, we believe that God can and and, and will, can save us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're never going to stop serving him. I love, I love the sense here that they love God simply for himself. How many people have we seen in your work here at church, in your walk in church in the marketplace who have, drifted away because they felt as though God failed to to live up to his end of the bargain. They said, I trusted God. I love God. I came to church. I did all the right things. I prayed the prayers. And then when I needed God, he didn't come through for me. I, I, I did all the right things. I trusted God. And where was he then? And they walk away from the church. They walk away from their faith, saying, well, I trusted God, but he didn't come through. You didn't really trust God, did you? Not really. You really just tried to co-opt God into your agenda. You trusted in God and a whole bunch of other things. You trusted in God and financial security. You trusted in God and having your health. You trusted in God and finding that right man or woman. You trusted in God and having a healthy, happy marriage and, and kid. You added a whole bunch of other stuff to your trust. In God, and then when those other things didn't materialize, you, you bail out. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, "I trust God." Full stop, period. Regardless of what else happens, we love God just for Himself, not for everything else that He may or may not give us. Think about it in terms of even even an earthly relationship, like a marriage. You'd better hope that if you're married that your spouse loves you not just for your beautiful good looks or for your money because those things can fade, amen. (laughs) You'd better hope that your spouse loves you just for you. It's the same here, isn't it? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego love God just for God, just for who He is, not because of what they can get out of Him. And I think that's the challenge for so many of us in the church here today. They are thrown into the fire. A couple of things here for us to note about suffering. Firstly, suffering is inevitable. We're told that as surely as sparks fly upward, says Job, surely a man is born into trouble. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, It rains on the just and the unjust. There's no point trying to make sense of why does good things happen to bad people. Even Jesus himself says, you know what? The rain falls on good people and bad alike. Suffering will happen to you in this life. Do not be fooled by those who will try to sell you the lie that coming to Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy and wise. It is not true. Secondly, I want you to know about suffering is that it can, in fact... Refine your faith. It can actually make it stronger. 1 Peter 1 says, In all this, greatly rejoice. Rejoice in your suffering. For though now for a little while you will have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering refines us, it purifies our faith, it drives us deeper into God's presence. They're thrown into the fire (laughs) and of course you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar peers into the fire and sees not just three men walking around alive. But there is a fourth person. This is a a theophany, is a nerdy theological word. It's a visual representation of God in the Old Testament. Some scholars would actually believe that this is in fact a a pre-incarnate Jesus walking around in the fire. They they are ordered out of the fire. Nebuchadnezzar can't, can't believe what he says. They're pulled out of the fire. They haven't been singed. Interestingly, the only things that have been burnt off them are their ropes. Don't you love that? The, the trial, the fiery trial, the fiery trial has only resulted in them being liberated. They're bound, they're, they're, their ropes have been burned off. He pulls them out and he's amazed. He gives praise to God. He gives praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and again, they are promoted. He declares that no other God can save this way. He saw it looked to be like a son of God walking around with them in the furnace. They've been miraculously saved, and God is given the glory. So let me conclude with a few challenges here this morning, church. Even if, even if the culture turns against you, even if you've got to take a few knocks, and by the way, if you're not taking a few knocks and I suggest to you, you've actually bowed down. If you don't realize that you actually, that there's a pressure on you out there to bow down, you probably already have. Have you submitted to the culture already? Have you bowed down? But are you willing to say that even if the pressure comes, even if it's going to cost me perhaps my reputation, might cost me a few friends, even if that happens, am I still willing to stand firm? even if I don't get that promotion at work, even if I don't get that report from the doctor that I'm really praying for, I'm nevertheless still going to trust in the God of of heaven and earth. Friends, know that God doesn't so much save us from fiery trials, but through fiery trials. Amen? He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fire. He saved Daniel through the line. He saved Noah through the flood. Their trust in God was unconditional. Is yours? Do you have an an even-if faith? I pray that that is indeed the case. And remember too, that of course Jesus did indeed come in human form and suffered for you. His love for you was unconditional. He went to the cross saying, even if it costs me my life, I'm still going to do it to liberate you from the fire. Jesus was there bleeding, he was sweating blood, saying, if there's any other way, Lord, for this to happen. But he said, not my will, but yours, Lord. Even if I've got to go to my death, even if I've got to go to the cross, then so be it. I will do it for Pete Chapman. He'll do it for you. That is the faith that we are called to emulate. If Jesus can go through that fiery furnace on your behalf that you deserve, surely you can go through whatever trial you might be facing this week to bring him glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help in this day and age, this plural society where the pressure is indeed on us to bow down. Heavenly Father, we need your help to stand firm, to be resolute, to be indefatigable in our standing up for you, Lord, for what we believe in. It does seem as though the pressure is ramping up, Lord. So we pray that we might look to this story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and draw draw inspiration, Lord. We pray that we might have an even-if faith. We pray that like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we can come before you and say, well, even if things don't work out as as I would like, even if things go pear-shaped, even if I am called to face many trials, I will nevertheless cling to you as my hope, as my salvation. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that your love for us was that sort of a faith, unshakable, unconditional, Thank you for Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for his death in order that we might live. Help us to go and live similarly, similarly fearless, similarly set free from all that binds us, Lord. Help us to live free. Help us to live that abundant life to the full, knowing, Heavenly Father, that we are spiritually fireproof, that we have been fireproofed by the blood of Jesus Christ and to go and to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.